0: Blog
1: Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened-to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern-day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders, also a successful author. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on The Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart.
2: And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us today. We've got a big show for you today, a very important topic for everybody who's interested in raising money. Uh, here on The Nonprofit Coach, as the announcer just shared with you, this is a live call-in show, so you can dial 347-324-3080 to speak to our page two experts. Uh, Susan Black. will be with us in just a few moments. Uh, when you dial in, make sure that you press the number one. That will raise your hand on the switchboard and let me know that you want to ask a question and are not just listening to the show, which, of course, you can always dial that number and listen to the show as well. You can join us over in the chat room. I see some folks uh, over in the chat room, so feel free uh, to join us there. Uh, or you can email me your questions at, tedhart at tedhart.com. As always, here on The Nonprofit Coach, we start with Page One News. Over here on page one news as always you can follow along at tedhart.com click on radio links you will not only find the radio links for today's show but all of the best radio links for all of our podcasts going back over nearly four years here on the nonprofit coach uh, first up i just want to uh, uh, share some interesting news from the taproot foundation they have started an online matchmaker for charities seeking Pro Bono Help. The Taproot Foundation has created an online marketplace it hopes will become the Match.com of Pro Bono, link, uh, linking skilled volunteers with nonprofits that need assistance in areas of marketing, database design, and strategic planning. Uh, you can find that link for Taproot Plus over in the radio links today at TedHart.com. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach is just a, a good uh, luck to all of the nominees for the 2014 Mashies. uh this is a combination of non-profits for-profits uh for uh digital advisory groups uh those involved in digital marketing uh the winners will be announced at the awards ceremony at Gotham Hall on November 4th uh you can take a look at all of the various uh uh, uh, nominees uh, in each of the categories. Uh, some of those categories are Best Public Service Announcement, Best Use of Vine and Instagram, Best Viral Video, Best Facebook Campaign, uh, Snapchat, Twitter Accounts, uh, and those are uh, go on and on to the various uh, categories. You can read all about that. You actually can also get tickets if uh, you're in the area of New York and would like to uh, uh, participate and uh, learn all about the winners yourself. That's all available in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Next up here on page one, it is uh, that uh, time of the month for us to welcome back for the CFRE Minute, Ava Aldridge is here. Uh, Ava, this is your opportunity to bring us up to date on what is happening at CFRE International. Welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach.
0: Thanks, Ted. It's great to be here. Well, it sure has been a busy time with CFRE. Um, we're really working with uh, leadership around the globe in order to spread word of the CFRE credential. Uh, we were very happy to sponsor the Global Fundraiser of the Year Award at the International Fundraising Congress. And we've also just gotten back from the AFP Leadership Academy, where we got a great chance to talk with chapter leaders in North America. Um, I think one of the biggest things, though, we've got on our plate for the coming year and that we're very excited about is an in-person meeting of of 20-plus of representatives from our participating organizations. And those are the organizations that really support the CFRE credential and promote it to their members. Um, And so we are looking forward to having a great chance there for synergy and for even more enthusiasm about credentialing and the ethical fundraising that it supports.
2: Well, of course, as you know, here on The Nonprofit Coach, we're extremely supportive of the CFRE credential and feel that uh, it is an important indication of those who have stepped up and volunteered to be tested uh, and to join the society of peers who hold this credential. Um, It continues to grow, not only in acceptance, but in sheer numbers. Isn't that correct?
0: That's correct, and we are very happy we are going to meet and exceed um, our goals for both initial cert- certification and also recertification. Uh, people are very, very proud of their credentials, and uh, we can see that because when they get the CFRE, they keep it.
2: Well, and for adults, of course, any time you mention uh, sitting for an exam, uh, that uh, can bring on anxiety for some people. Uh, why would you say that uh, skilled professionals seeking CFRE should not be filled with anxiety?
0: I think one of the key things, Ted, is that the CFRE is a practice-based credential. We are really looking at what best practices are and the things that professionals do every day on the job. Uh, and and these best practices are supported in in, key practitioner literature that we have on our website, on our reading list, and I think most professionals who have been in the the fundraising profession for some time will have more than a passing uh, understanding and familiarity with best practice literature already. So I I think the main thing is just for people to know that, uh, again, we we are – really asking them to show their knowledge on the best practices they use every day. Um, That's not to say that we can't all occasionally use some brushing up and reminders through reading some of the literature, but it is a very practical and practice-based exam.
2: Yeah, I I share the same thing with folks, is that if you have have actually been a fundraiser, if you've been active uh, in your own profession uh, for the allotted amount of time, uh, you're going to do well. That's not to say that, uh, as you said, it's it's not important to just take some time up and brush up on some of the concepts that are covered in the exam. But but this is not an exam that's filled with gotcha questions. These are, uh, as you said, these are practical questions based on, your your practical experience in the marketplace.
0: That's right, and we want everyone to succeed, and that's why we're very transparent. In addition to the reading list that's on our website, the test content outline is published there. So if anyone is worried about what kinds of topics that they might see in questions, they can download that from our website and take a look. And I always recommend that people really uh, compare the test out content outline to what they do on a regular basis in their jobs uh, if you're doing for instance major gifts and that's that's your area of expertise, probably that might be an area where maybe you don't have to do as much uh, taking a look at at the literature because you know it already uh, right. on the other hand if if planned giving is something that you just do not do on an every basis uh, or everyday basis, that might be something to take a look at.
2: Ava, what percentage of people pass the exam on their first try? Yeah,
0: you know, probably around seventy percent in there. Yeah, and that would have, that would have been yeah.
2: my guess. Yeah, yeah. and you um, know, it's, it's, it's a pretty high sometimes
0: percentage. it's a, it is. Sometimes it's a little more. Sometimes it's a little less. But I think it's important too, Ted, and I'm glad you brought this up. You know, the CFRE is a baseline foundational credential. So our purpose is to make certain that as many fundraisers as possible really have the portfolio of experience and the base of knowledge that's repre- repre- represented by passing the exam, you know, so that there are a wide number of ethical fundraisers out there. So we want people to succeed at the exam because when they succeed, that means there're just that many more able, knowledgeable fundraisers who are doing you know, wonderful jobs, practicing best practices and ethical fundraising, and that's what the nonprofit sector needs. And correct me if
2: I'm wrong, that's a a minimum of five years of uh, practical experience before you sit for the exam?
0: That's correct. There are four categories yeah. on the application. You need the five years of experience. You also have to meet minimum requirements in terms of performance, whether it's dollars raised or communications or management projects that support fundraising. Uh, and also continuing education and volunteer service. All
2: right. So everyone listening uh, today or listening on podcast, if you've got five years experience, uh, make sure you go to cfre.org and start uh, learning about how you can obtain the CFRE designation. This uh, certification is important to the profession to show that we stand together. Uh, as a Society of Professionals. And, uh, Ava, thank you each month for coming to us and bringing us up to speed on the latest and greatest at CFRE. Uh, That's Ava Aldrich uh, bringing us the CFRE Minute. Thank you, Ava. Thank you, Ted. We will see you next month. Uh, We are back here on uh, page one and up here on page one. Next, you can follow over in the radio links. Uh, Periodically, we just want to draw your attention uh, to uh, the vast number of products uh, that are available um, at low, very low cost uh, via TechSoup. Um, over at TechSoup, for instance, uh, you can get uh, the latest uh, QuickBooks edition 2015 for just $45. Uh, you can uh, have Office Professional Plus 2013 uh, for $32 or Office Standard for $24.00 per license. So it's important that every computer have an updated and legal license of all the softwares uh, that you uh, use as a nonprofit organization. Uh, This is a terrific opportunity for you to be able to get the latest software for pennies on the dollar uh, for what would be available on the open market. That is because as a nonprofit organization, you can apply and qualify uh, for discounted software that has been provided by the software companies. Through the clearinghouse over at TechSoup. You can receive all the information over in the radio links today at tedhart.com. Next up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach, another good friend of ours uh, coming to us once a month uh, over from GuideStar, uh, bringing us the GuideStar Minute. Uh, Welcome back, Gabe Cohen. How are you, Gabe? I'm good, Ted. How are you today? Well, you folks, I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, Good to have you back here Uh, on The Nonprofit Coach. Uh, You folks just celebrated a big milestone. Tell us all about it. Yeah, we
3: did. We actually just celebrated our 20th anniversary back in September, uh, and we're really happy to uh, share the progress that we've made over the last 20 years and the growth that we've had and uh, look forward to where we're going in the next set of years here. I heard an interesting fact that I'll share with your listeners. We started off with about 5 million data points when we first digitized our 990s, and we're now at about 2.5 billion data points. So we have grown a little bit over the last 20 years. Yeah, you
2: sure have. And the the, uh, nonprofit sector has grown considerably over that period of time. And I I dare say the demands and expectation of donors for transparency has grown considerably. I think GuideStar has really – been a leader in helping donors be knowledgeable Uh, you've opened the doors for donors to be able to uh, direct their own philanthropic lives Um, and uh, you date us all by mentioning uh, a 20th anniversary uh, for those of us who remember uh, the early days and starts of uh, Buzz and others uh, getting uh, getting GuideStar uh, underway and everything that's happened uh, since then so uh, besides uh, celebrating an anniversary uh, bring us up to date on uh, what's going over in GuideStart.
3: Yeah, well, that, that's actually a perfect segue into what I wanted to share with your audience today. Uh, I am really excited to announce a second phase to our Overhead Myth campaign. Uh, you guys, you you and your listeners may know that in 2013 we launched a uh, campaign called the Overhead Myth with BBB Wise Giving Alliance and Charity Navigator, and we launched it with an open letter to the donors of America explaining that overhead ratios are a poor way to understand a nonprofit's performance. And I'm glad to report that with the response, overwhelming response of the original campaign, we had over 100 articles written on the campaign, so we were very excited about that. And we've transitioned that to actually a second letter today that's written right at your audience, the Nonprofits of America. We launched last week with a brand-new website, um, again partnering with Charity Navigator and BBB Wise Giving Alliance, and we have another open letter on there. And I I direct your listeners to the open letter to see what they can do as nonprofits. Uh, We wrote this letter not to the nonprofits, not because we feel they're the originators of the myth, but we feel that we are in the best position as nonprofits to communicate the overhead myth message, message with our donors and funders. We want to recruit as many other nonprofits out there to retrain donors to pay attention to what really matters, our organization's results. Um, so, unfortunately, this does mean that we are all going to have to throw away our pie charts showing overhead versus program and instead step up to the mission of communicating with your stakeholders, your organizations, how your organization is ac- accomplishing your mission. And I want to share, with the listeners today, three tangible steps that they can take to start reporting on the results and not just the ratios. First, they should demonstrate ethical practice and share data about their performance. Second, they need to be managing towards results and understanding their true costs. And lastly, they need to educate funders, whether it's individuals, foundations or corporations, on the real cost of those results. We ask your listeners to join with our three organizations by going to overheadmyth.com, signing up for the Overhead Myth Pledge, and lastly, but most importantly, use the tools that we have provided to communicate with their stakeholders exactly how they're making the world a better place, not just how much they're spending on administrative costs.
2: Well, I I just wanted to applaud uh, all three organizations. I think this is... One of the uh, most important topics for us to be addressing, and to have three uh, very important organizations bringing this to uh, to the light, um, I, I dare say you, you're going to have a a, a a big cliff to climb with uh, uh, organizations like the Combined Federal Campaign that live in that space, um, but but getting donors to be able to uh, to see beyond those uh, those pie charts. Um, and I know that uh, the producer of the show, uh, Diane Peach, uh, wants to be in contact with you folks because uh, we want to get you on to page two. Uh, we want to get all three of you together or each of you individually uh, to come on to speak specifically about this topic, why it's important, break it down, give us the details. Uh, so I know she's going to be reaching out to you to uh, uh, find time after the, the new year uh, to really use this show to draw attention uh, to the importance of this. I know Ken Berger... Uh, is scheduled to come on the show December 2nd. He'll be our page two expert, but he's actually going to be on for a different purpose on that day, and that is uh, to help us celebrate Giving Tuesday uh, on uh, on December 2nd. Uh, so we're going to want to have uh, you folks uh, back, and I'll let you folks work out those details. But we want to do everything we can here on The Nonprofit Coach uh, to put an exclamation point after uh, these open letters. Uh, after the attention that you're trying to draw to this issue. This is something I've talked about on this show uh, many times. Um, I, I know that Case uh, Sprinkle-Grace and I have discussed this on our holiday show uh, several times, and I'm absolutely thrilled to have uh, three very important organizations um, helping put a spotlight on this topic.
3: Yeah, it, and I, I appreciate all of uh, of your interest in this issue and, and, and backing it as, as much as you have. And I'd love to arrange to, to get the three CEOs to talk about it further. Just wanted to reiterate two things to your listeners. First, there is, uh, on the back of the letter, which can be found on the website, there's a list of tools and resources that we plan on updating uh, regularly as new resources come to life so we can get nonprofits the latest information on how they can make a difference. And second, That letter is uh, licensed under a Creative Commons license. So that means that anyone out there can share that letter with all of their stakeholders, and we really encourage people to do this. We think that's one of the easiest ways to spread the
2: message about the overhead
3: myth and start working towards an overhead solution.
2: Well, again, bravo, and uh, we look forward to uh, working with you here on the Nonprofit Coach to provide this microphone and this platform as a way to uh, accentuate uh, this work. We'd love to have the three CEOs on here, and I know that Diane will be in touch with you uh, to help make that uh, possible. Gabe Cohen, thank you again for an a absolutely fascinating and informative GuideStar Minute. Thanks, Ted. We're going to wrap up uh, page one here by bringing another friend on to the show. Uh, Linda Lysakowski is coming into uh, the studio now and is going to uh, give us a really terrific introduction to our fantastic uh, page two expert, uh, Susan Black. Welcome back here to nonprofit coach, Linda Lysakowski.
4: Thanks, Ted. Hey, it's great to be here. And I'm I'm really excited that I was able to participate on the same show with Ava Aldridge from CFRE because our guest today, Susan O'Donnell Black, is a CFRE, and as you know, Charity Channel Press has published dozens of books now for the nonprofit sector, and we're really proud to say that many of our authors are either CFREs or ACFREs, and part of the uh, deal with becoming a CFRE is that you're also given credit for things like service to the profession and teaching and publishing. And I think that's really commendable that CFRE does value the fact that they want people to give back to the profession. And to me, that's what's exciting about the CFRE and the ACFRE program. But um, Susan has been a CFRE, I'm not sure quite how long, but I know she's been in fundraising for more than 20 years. Uh, in fundraising public relations she started her career in a college and um also has worked for several healthcare organizations and in 2008 she started her own consulting practice and what i really like about susan's practice is that she says in her bio that she formed the consulting practice so she could help struggling nonprofits identify strategies that will allow them to help reach their potential. And I think no matter what size the organization is today, it seems like almost all nonprofits are struggling. So I really like the fact that she put that in her description of her company because almost every nonprofit does need help in that in the regards of fundraising because there's so many challenges today that we're all facing. So I want well, to just tell Linda, you a little bit if I can about just-
2: Linda, if I can just draw uh, a, a line back to you, and that's also part of the mission of uh, Charity Channels in the Trenches series, uh, of which the book you're going to be introducing today is part of that series, So, uh, and, and part of the DNA of the nonprofit coach is, again, helping that same group of smaller nonprofits that may lack the resources, but nonetheless have the need for professional services.
4: Right, and I think that's so critical today. Like I said, even even the larger organizations I find still struggle with fundraising, so they really need that, that extra help. And this is what the In the Trenches series books was brought about. They're not academic books. They're written from the first person, people who had the experience in the trenches, and, and so they're bringing that experience to the nonprofits that need it. So we're really proud uh, to say that we have some great authors and like Susan who have been in the trenches and are now willing to share that expertise with other people. Um, and this book particularly I really loved when I saw the, her proposed title for it Help! They Want Me to Fundraise. I really kind of resonated with this because like many of us in this field, I kind of fell into this profession. And I'm not sure, Ted, how you got into it, but Many of us seem to have fallen into this, either through volunteer work or maybe we had another job in a nonprofit and all of a sudden one day someone decided that we needed to get involved in fundraising. And even today, uh, I've been working with probably hundreds of nonprofits over my 30-some year career. And like Susan, a lot of the organizations I work with seem to be just getting ready to start fundraising and they're not quite sure how to go about it and when they go to hire a staff person i find that lots of times they fall into traps like um, maybe they're a private school and and they have somebody who was a a great fundraiser she organized the pto bake sale or car wash or whatever and well well she's good at that so she can do development work or sometimes they have someone on their program side who has written a successful grant, and they say, wow, you know, this program officer was able to get us this fantastic grant, so we should make her the director of development. And, you know, sometimes even executive directors, people kind of think, well, oh, everybody in town knows our executive director, and she has a great reputation, so she'll be a great fundraiser. Or they hire a salesperson because they think, well, fundraising is a lot like selling, and, you know, if they can sell, they can fundraise. And what they don't realize is that there's a lot more to fundraising, so that's why I was really excited about this book, and I really honestly, when I saw it, wished that it had been around 30 years ago when I started in this profession, because there is a lot to learn about fundraising, so Help They Want Me to Fundraise is a great non-profit manual for beginners, whether you fell into this job or were pushed into this job, or maybe fundraising is kind of incidental to your job as as an executive director or a board member. So I'm looking forward to um, hearing more from Susan, and I'm really happy to introduce her because I think she has a lot of valuable things to tell you about help. They want me to fundraise.
2: Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say hello to Susan, and then we're going to wrap up page one and get right over uh, to page two. Susan, you want to say hello to Linda?
5: Hi, Linda. Thank you so much. Hi, Susan. (laughs) Hi, <laughs> I really appreciate this amazing opportunity today to be on the line with Ted Hart and Linda Lesikowski. Wow! At <laughs> <laughs> <All laughs> the same time, I'm Linda, thank you so much.
2: <laughs> thank you so much for that awesome introduction. Uh, we are now going to head over to page two. As our dear friend Linda Lysakowski just shared, our Page 2 expert today uh, is Susan Black, CFRE. She is the uh, author of Help, They Want Me to Fundraise, part of the charity channels in the trenches uh, series. Now, uh, Susan, let's start off right from the beginning. This is the nonprofit fundraising manual for beginners. Uh, And I just want to share because I just thought that this was uh, so perfect and so apropos Um, that that, uh, Kent Stroman, uh, who uh, we've had here on this show, author, speaker, consultant, uh, says very plainly, get this book. If only thing you read is the CEO fundraising knowledge and community uh, connectedness, uh, in Chapter 2, your return on investment will be immeasurable. So we're going to take the lead of Kent Stroman and ask you to tell us all about the CEO, Fundraising, Knowledge, and Community Connectedness as part of this book.
5: Yes, great. Thank you so much, um, Ted, and, and I so appreciate um, Kent's comment as well. You know, it's interesting when I um, share this book and when I do uh, presentations on this book, that really is the thing that resonates with people the most is this information that, you know, the CEO is the face of the organization, and he or she really is the default fundraiser, chief fundraiser of the organization. Some uh, CEOs embrace that role and understand it. Many really do not understand it or they shy away from it. And what I find in working with my clients as well is that many of them are surprised at how much of their time they really ought to be out in the community, um, in fact, I suggest forty percent of their time they need to be out of the office uh, you know really uh, letting people know about their organization and helping people connect with the organization, and so many CEOs and executive directors and when I say CEO in this book, i 'm referring to whomever is the you know the chief person uh, in the organization, whether they have that title or they have the executive director title, but that person um, so often gets stuck. Inside, putting out fires internally in the organization, and they don't realize that they are truly—you um, know—I hate to overstate it—but crippling the organization by not being out in the orga- in the community, really being the face of the organization and helping people connect. So that's that's one of the things that really resonates when I share some of this information on CEOs. Well,
2: I, I agree with you, Susan, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right there because wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, is it not true that CEOs are able to hire these wizards um, who go out and just pick money off from the trees uh, and bring it yes. back home in bushel baskets? Isn't that what Absolutely. you do when you hire a fundraiser?
5: Absolutely. they They grow the trees in the backyard. And they go and get the money off of them, and they and they bring it in. Um, you know what? It's and I, I have to say too, it isn't just the CEOs who have that misconception. Sometimes it's our boards as well. Uh, in fact, it may often be more our, our boards than even the CEO. But um, you know. That is one of the, the biggest misconceptions I think about um, the CEO and, and his or her involvement in fundraising, is that that is cannot be the case. In fact, you know, hiring um, a development professional, and we certainly hope, first of all, that that CEO has identified the fact that they need to hire someone who is trained and passionate about their their cause and their organization, um, and who is trained in, in fundraising. Surely, hiring that person bringing that person on board is going to definitely kick-start your fundraising program, get it in gear and, and help it keep going and help it sustain itself. But they it's not magic. They're not going to be the person that just um, automatically makes all of the uh, fiscal problems go away. Um, that person is going to have to work closely with the CEO, and the CEO needs to be involved, engaged, understand what the plans are and um, how he or she fits in those plans so that they can talk about it in the community um, and talk about it knowledgeably. So, yeah, boy, I wish it was that way, don't you?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that would be nice. But I I also want to share with you the other end of the spectrum, uh, and that is uh, the uh, CEOs or the uh, um, uh, chief executive officer of the nonprofit uh, who uh, says, you know, I really don't need – uh, one of those uh, uh, fundraising professionals, whatever you want to call them, uh, because I can do fundraising. I know how you do that successfully. Uh, you take people to lunch, and they give you checks. So yes. isn't that how it works, too?
5: <laughs> Absolutely, yes. There's, there is no cultivation needed. It just springs up out of the ground. Yes, these people just give you the checks the first time you see them. Site unseen, so obviously, organization unknown.
2: Obviously, I'm teasing with you and teasing with the audience as yeah. is is sort of a, a tee right. up to your, your book because I think, uh, if I'm correct, and, and, and uh, Linda was very kind in sending me a copy uh, of your book before the show, uh, as I read through your book, I think your book actually exists between those two bookends. Uh, between the bookend of the CEO uh, who feels well, I really don't need to do anything but take people to lunch and they give me checks, uh, and the other end of, of the spectrum uh, where well, we hired this person, now go bring in the big bucks because that's what you wizards do, and and we all just let us know when it's time to cast the checks. Your book is, is right. what fills in those gaps. Is that right?
5: You know, it really is. In fact, the way I describe it, uh, Ted, is that the book is intended for people who find themselves at the crossroads of leadership and fundraising. So whether they are that CEO who is the leader or that board chair or that development committee chair, um, someone in that position, they're at that crossroads of, of leadership and fundraising. They know that something needs to be done. They aren't exactly sure how to do it, and they need that information right now; they don't have you know time for three day seminars they don't have uh you know a lot of of money for high paid consultants they don't have cookie cutter problems they're not looking for cookie cutter solutions. they really need to uh get their arms around how this fundraising thing really works, and they need to do it today and that is really what that the book is about and, and, and who it's for. It's those folks who understand I'm not going to be able to, um, to address the critical issues facing my organization, issues like fulfilling their mission, expanding programs. And, you know, the other thing that, that is really also tied to that is improving staff morale, attracting high-quality employees. Until the fundraising gets taken care of, until it gets addressed, those other things are going to lag behind. And I think there's a lot of folks out there who who recognize that that's the place where they're standing, and yet they are searching for tools that will help them get started, quickly assess what they need to do next. And and that's really what I see this book uh, doing in terms of being a tool for that purpose.
2: Well, I think you do it beautifully. Um, But fill in the blanks for me for – uh, the okay. the person um, who comes to you probably a, a, again a, a new CEO or maybe a board member mm-hmm. uh, who says well that's all well and good but how could a book like this help me because we're special we're unique.
5: Sure. Well, you know what? I think that um every organization in fact it's it's interesting that you say that because a lot of the the organizations that I work with, um, I specialize in organizations that have little to no fundraising staff, difficult missions. Um, they have what I call the ick factor on them. There's something going on there where, you know, they just have a, a stigma attached or there's some kind of a challenge there. So you know, the first thing that people need to understand is that they are not alone. There's a lot of organizations out there who feel like their situation is unique. And yet at the end of the day, when you really break it down, and this is what I try to do in the book, there's some very basic things that every fundraising program needs, regardless of the organization, regardless of of uh, your mission, of the issues that are going on in your organization. And if you can address uh, those basic building blocks, if you can make sure that you have those things in place, you're going to have a greater chance of success in fundraising. Nothing's automatic. Nobody's going to be able to just, you know, make it all better for you right now. But I think what the book does is it really helps you assess where you are right now and what you need to do next to get on a path towards fundraising success, regardless of any of the other issues. That you you may have going on in your organization.
2: Well, I, I I totally agree with you in 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 that regard of of building out the program. So who who's actually part of this team? Because it, it sounds to me mm-hmm. that in drawing attention to the intrinsic role of uh, the CEO in this process, that you have in mind a very specific role for this fundraising development professional. As part of a team, not someone who actually just does the fundraising.
5: Exactly. You know, you you've really hit the nail on the head that the fundraising has to be a team approach. And I, it's so interesting because many of the of the boards that I work with, they all want me to tell them. You know, that, that <laughs> I'll, I'll back up a minute. The executive director wants me to tell the board what its role is. And the board is saying, well, we want to know what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to do it, and and what are what is that? What is the development director's job? And you know what is the CEO's job? And so everybody seems to be confused about whose job it is, and there seems to be a lot of passing the buck, you know, when it comes to fundraising. Um, but really, it's about that team approach. And what I try to help people understand is. Everybody has to take a responsibility for fundraising. Everybody in the whole organization needs to take responsibility for fundraising, whether your job is to actually implement the plans and see those through or help create those plans or to just uh, talk knowledgeably and positively about your organization in the community. Um, Whether, you know, whichever, whatever role you fit in, you may have a slightly different job to do, but everybody has to work as a team um, for fundraising to really be successful. And the passing off the buck to the development director is a recipe for disaster. Um, passing off, you know, looking to the board and saying, and it's something that uh, Gail Terry talks about in her book, you know, something, passing it off to the board alone and saying, well, you aren't doing your job. Well, I, as a development director, need to make sure that I'm, empowering you to do your job, but I'm helping you, I have given you the tools, I'm helping you with that follow-through, the leadership, the leadership of the board, the leadership in terms of the staff and the person of the CEO needs to inspire and engage those board members and staff to want to participate, to be excited and passionate about participating. So yes, everybody has a role to play and everybody has to work together as a team for it to truly be successful.
2: Well, Susan, it's always a lot more fun to point fingers than to take the responsibility <laughs> yourself. So I, I think you have just taking the fun, fun out, of, uh, out of the entire equation here. Now, oh, I want, I'm sorry. <laughs> now, I want to make sure that we uh, cover sort of the, the bread and butter of your book, and that is uh, the four building blocks. Um, so can you right. walk us through um, building block number one, organizational readiness?
5: Yes, sure, absolutely. Um, organizational readiness, uh, well, let me just back up and make sure folks understand kind of what we mean by that. Um, what, what I do in the book is I help break down fund, the fundraising process and the components of, of, successful fund, of a successful fundraising program into four building blocks. And the first one, and, and the reason I do that, let me just explain that as well, is that I really believe that a fundraising program is a lot like building with blocks. And if you take one block out, you know, that the structure may be weakened or it may fall down. And I feel that that's the same way with these building blocks of of fundraising success. If, If one of these blocks is missing, you are going to have a greater struggle in terms of your fundraising. So I want people to understand these are the very basic things that you need to have in place. And, and as, as Linda was saying, regardless of whether you're a, a, a new, all-volunteer, small organization, or a huge organization, these things all need to be there and need to be working properly for you to be successful in fundraising. So let me just uh, tee that up that way. But um, the first building block is organizational readiness. And there are really five things that I try to address in organizational readiness. And that's financial stability, uh, board of directors' capacity and preparedness, capability and connectedness of the CEO. We've already touched on that for for a moment. Development staff capability and backroom operations. So what I want to help people understand with organizational readiness, first and foremost, people do not want to put water into a leaky bucket. They do not want to give to organizations who do not seem to be fiscally sound. And that seems counterintuitive. People think, well I just I need to raise money so that I can, you know, have this this strong organization. And the problem is you've really got to get the business side of your of your nonprofit as strong as it can be. You need to make the tough decisions, do the things that are necessary to to right size your organization so that you can show that you are doing everything you can to be as fiscally sound as possible. And that that's really important. Before people want to invest in you. They don't want to just Throw that money away, so that's one of the things that I addressed um, in the book we've talked a little bit about the the capability of the CEO but you know the board needs to be uh, have some capacity and some preparedness. They need to have folks of influence and affluence on that board and if we 're not quite there yet, like is the case with so many of my clients at least being prepared, at least understanding their role, being willing to embrace their role as an ambassador for the organization, um, and willingness to, to go out there and really um, get everybody on the bandwagon. Um, so that's very important. Development staff capability hand, goes hand-in-hand hand with the CEO capability. So many times, as we've uh, mentioned, I think Linda was, was uh, mentioning this earlier. You know, sometimes organizations will say, well, we need somebody to do fundraising. Well, you've been um, an executive assistant, so you can do fundraising. Or you've been a, a social worker, so now we're going to promote you and you're going to become the fundraiser. Well, there's nothing inherently wrong with that, except that what we do is we, we set that person up for failure. That person needs to be trained and passionate. They need to really have what is required to be successful in terms of their knowledge base in fundraising. It's not automatic. It's its not in, intuitive. It's something that people need to learn. And they need to be passionate about the organization. And that's the way that person is going to be successful. And I also like to talk about backroom operation. You know, how many of us have lost um, donors because the, the person didn't get their thank you note in a reasonable amount of time? You know, that backroom operation is very important. Those policies, those procedures, um, those things that you have in place to make sure that um, those thank you notes are going out or those names are correct on the list. It's surprising how uh, big an impact things that seem so small can make. So that's what is covered in organizational readiness.
2: We're going to take a, a short break, but before we do I want to cover block number two. Um, and and yeah. block number two, uh, building block number two, is fundraising goals and plans. Now, now isn't that uh, pretty simple? Because we have a budget deficit, therefore you have a goal. Isn't that right? <laughs>
5: <laughs> yes, absolutely again tongue and cheek that's the right. That's the way to do it. Actually, I think this is my personal opinion. I believe that that situation is one of the biggest reasons that development directors turn over so much in their jobs because they they are required to you know keep the lights on. And it's just not realistic and it's it's not right. What needs to happen is that that organization needs to have a strategic plan where they know where they're going, they know who they want to be when they grow up, they have a basic idea of how they want to get there. And then from that comes that annual fundraising plan. That's when the CEO and the development director and the development committee can work together to create a plan that is based on the strategic plan where, um, they are raising money for the things that are going to move the organization forward, and they've identified you know, what those funding opportunities are. But, you know, the biggest thing for me, Ted, is case for support. I am a huge proponent of case for support. I, I think that case for support, and I have seen this happen, it, is, it can become a turning point document for an organization. So it's really take a hard look at what are we doing? Why is it important? Why are we uh, uniquely qualified to provide this service? What is the impact that we're making in the community? And really getting all of those things down on paper so that the whole organization is singing from the same sheet of music. I just can't emphasize enough how important Case for Support truly is.
2: Well, I, I agree with you. We're going to take a, a really uh, quick break, um, and when we come back I'm going to ask you uh, to talk about building block number three, which is primary fundraising vehicles. And I'm just just going to give you something uh, to to ponder um, a truth, this was actually said uh, once, and I'm going to ask you to respond to it. Um, I had a board president say once, I finally get it. I understand exactly how fundraising is done and how we can do it cost-effectively. We're only going to do planned giving because that has the largest ROI, and he felt like the smartest guy in the room. When we come back, Susan's going to tell us why he was or was not the smartest guy in the room. Next week's show here on the Nonprofit Coach, 12 noon Eastern, we will have Justin Perkins. He is the Senior Director of Brand Engagement uh, at CARE2, and he will be our page two expert here on the Nonprofit Coach, uh, giving you an opportunity to uh, enjoy your, in the United States, Veterans Day holiday on, on November 11th. Uh, we will not have a live show. But it's a great time to catch up on hundreds of podcasts available at TedHeart.com. Uh, we will come back uh, with uh, Meredith Hanks on November 8th uh, live here on the Nonprofit coach And we're going to head right back uh, so that Susan can bring us up to date on the primary fundraising vehicles, building block number three.
1: Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at TedHeart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart.
2: And we're back here live uh, with Susan Black, CFRE. uh, Her In the Trenches book, Help, They Want Me to Fundraise, uh, helps us understand the four building blocks. And we are now talking about primary fundraising vehicles, And Susan, it seems like the answer to all of our prayers is to just do planned giving. Is that right? (laughs)
5: <laughs> that's a new one. that I have never I've never heard that approach before. I as long as you are willing to wait for anywhere from twenty to, you know, sixty years, I think that's probably true. Um, the problem <laughs> is that if you need to have uh, some funding for projects and things that you need right now, you're probably going to have a little bit of a problem. Uh most of well, the this, organizations guy, I was, this guy was
2: a pretty smart guy and he, he uh he yeah. decided that, you know, this All this direct mail, fundraising, online, Mm -hmm. offline, people, visiting people, major gifts, proposals, all that stuff you're going to talk to us about, all costs a lot of money and none of them have the same ROI. So he figured it all out.
5: Oh, that is really interesting. Well, you know what? It certainly takes an investment to do planned giving um, and you certainly can reap rewards. But I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket, that is for sure. In fact, that's really what I try to help people understand by uh, looking at primary fundraising vehicles is that you really need to have, um, you really need to to incorporate all the primary fundraising vehicles in your development, your comprehensive development program. You need to take a look at, at each of these uh, things that I cover, which is annual gifts, corporate and foundation giving, major gifts, and planned gifts. And I find it uh, very informative when I talk to boards, when I talk to folks about this particular building block, because most of the people that um, I'm speaking with about this are board members. And I find that very often they are not aware of these fundraising vehicles they they are learning something every time about, oh, okay, that's why I get that letter in the mail from my college or that's why I get that phone call from the students or, um, you know, all of those those kinds of things. So what I try to do in primary fundraising vehicles is just to help people understand basically what those things are to make sure that they're taking a look at all the ways that they can incorporate those vehicles into their comprehensive program. And I also try to dispel a myth about... Um, large annual gifts versus major gifts. And uh, this is one thing that I try to to hammer home when I'm doing uh, presentations as as well. You know, a lot of organizations that I work with that are very small, they get really excited about that large gift, you know, that even if it's just $1,000 or $5,000 or whatever that might be, they say, well, that's a major gift for us. And I have to help them understand that a major gift is is, – one that is given out of assets, usually not income, uh, over time and for a specific purpose. One time, I was very confused about this myself, and I emailed Kent Dove, you know, grandfather of of Major Giving, and I I said, Kent, what is what is the difference? And th- that's exactly what he just told me. He said, you know, the difference is that it's given out of assets, not income, over a period of time and for a specific purpose. And so, even someone who's giving you a large gift if they're giving that out of assets or they're giving that every year that's really a large annual gift not a major gift and really the difference is between um how it the difference excuse me is is in how the decision is made to give the gift you're still going to cultivate folks more or less the same way. But the decision making part uh by the donor is really what what uh defines those two things. So I tried to help uh dispel some myths there and give t- folks some basic information about how those uh vehicle- vehicles work and how they can use them.
2: Well let's move on then to uh block building block number four because it seems that it ties in uh beautifully to what you were saying because this is communications and community relations and you really can't have one without the other, right?
5: You know, you really can't. And and what I try to talk about in communications is that a communication starts with a well crafted message. You know, at the at the end of the day, if people do not know who you are and why you're important, they're not going to give give to you. Period. So if you don't have a clear, concise, compelling message about what you're doing, why it's important, the impact it makes in the community, people are not going to give to you. Now, there are some organizations out there that have natural constituencies like hospitals and universities and things like that, but the rest of us are building those constituencies. We're making them. We're creating them out of nothing. And so, you know, having that clear, concise, compelling message is incredibly important. And then having a communication plan, really thinking about, well, how often are we interacting with our audience? Who is our audience? Who are our audiences? And how do we craft messages that are going to reach them? How do we uh, come up with specific vehicles that are going to be effective for them um, to really get those messages to them? And, and I also try to emphasize that it's important for organizations to take a look at their uh, capability in terms of communication and what really makes sense for them. For instance, lots of folks just automatically think, oh, let's, you know, let's do a, um, you know, we need. We have a Facebook page, or we need a Facebook page, let's put one up, or let's start a Twitter feed. But if there's no one keeping those things up, if there's no messages going out on those, then that's useless. So don't spend your time doing things that you don't really have the capability of doing. Focus on the yeah, things you Yeah, well, I always tell do. people when
2: it comes to uh, services like that, that if you want yes. to use social media and you want to be successful, you have mm-hmm. to be social.
5: Yes. You do, and and in fact, I believe I heard a, a whole talk that you gave on on social media at TED, and it's very helpful to to have that kind of information because um, people need to understand these are not, you know, this is not for everyone. We need you have to have a whole plan for how you're going to use it, and and it's a great tool if you can use it, but don't just start it and then not use it. So, but the the that's just an example of. Uh, you know, trying to take on something that is you're, you're really not capable of doing because a lot of these organizations don't even have anybody who is doing communications. That's not somebody's job. It's it's, it's you know a default job of someone else. So, make, making sure that you have a communication plan that really works for you is the most important thing there.
2: Right now, I had a I had an executive director once who uh, became so frustrated with a group of donors who had not renewed uh, their their funding. She thought she had. The perfect communication tool," um, she said. "Invoice them. Why was that the wrong? Why, why was that the wrong approach?
5: Well, you know, I I think that we have to remember our own experiences when it you know stop and think about how we feel when we give a gift and we don't receive a thank you note, or we give a gift, we receive a thank you note, and we immediately receive an uh, another appeal. Or, you know, we just get an invoice with nothing else, and moreover, we never hear how that that gift made a difference. We never hear about the impact that was made. Or maybe we're not even, you know, we're getting the thank you note, but somehow our name is not getting on that newsletter list and we're not getting the newsletter so that we know what's, what's really happening in the organization. You know, we have to remember that when it comes to donors, what it feels like to be a donor, and then try to craft things that are going to help people feel engaged and involved. If they're, you know, an invoice does not engage, it does not involve. You might get your money but that may be the last time you ever get that money because you're not really well, it, giving people what they want. To the,
2: yeah, isn't it also tied to the concept of it's their money, not yours. You have to earn it.
5: You're absolutely right. That's a great way of putting it. And, you know, I think that we need to remember that people want to see the impact of their gift. That's their paycheck. That's, that's what makes them want to... To be involved is because it feels good to give back. It feels good to see change happen in the world that you want to see happen. And people feel like they're doing that when they give a gift. If they never receive anything other than an invoice, they're not going to feel that engagement. They're not going to feel that passion, that excitement for your cause because they don't feel like you care about them and and you haven't shown that you're a good steward of their money, which is what, you're, what you were just describing. Yes.
2: We only have four minutes left, and and I'm fascinated by one of your chapters. And I want to make sure that you at least get oh, a, a, one or two of your best tips out on common pitfalls in your fundraising career. How do you make sure you don't make them? And then uh, make sure that you tell my uh, guests how they can reach you, uh, because in three and a half minutes, I've got to wrap up the show.
5: Okay. Well, very quickly, you know, I think that the first thing that uh, pitfall that uh, really, I'll just I'll actually talk about a couple of these here, Uh, never leaving the office is a pitfall. You know, we can also get very bogged down um, in the office and and realizing that we have to make those calls, we have to get out there and help sell the organization is really crucial. I think actually uh, one of the main things that's important about um, a pitfall is getting burned out realizing that, um, you know, if you only are, are giving all the time and you're never receiving, if you're never going down to, you know, your program and seeing what's happening, you know, visiting with the people who are being served if that's the type of thing that you do or in, being involved in the program at that grassroots level, you're going to get burned out. So that's really important. And the last thing that I would mention, too, a, a big pitfall is uh, not communicating well with your CEO in terms of creating plans and, um and the budget.
2: Yeah, help, helping them understand that that you're a profit center, not a cost center, um, is, uh, I, I think, a, a big turning point for a lot of people's uh, career. But learning professionally how to articulate uh, that uh, that point of view, I, I have to uh, tell you, Susan, this has been fascinating. Uh, the book is well written, as uh, Linda promised. Uh, it is plain spoken. Um, it walks you through. Uh, the process that can lead to success, uh, and I, I guess I just want to say to um, all of uh, our listeners today that yes, you are special, yes, you are unique, but the principles of fundraising work wherever you go, because they're based sure. on personal relationships of people who want to do great things with their money.
5: That's right. That is so so true. how can my
2: okay. how can my listeners reach you?
5: They can reach me, first of all. You can reach me, um, I am on Twitter, at Susan Black, CFRE. You can also reach me um, on my uh, professional Facebook page at Susan Black. And uh, you can also reach me at Aline, that's spelled A-L-L-E-N-E. Alinefundraising.com is my website, and you're welcome to uh, look there as well and and find out some more about me and and what I do. So uh, I hope that we'll get to hear from some folks.
2: You've been a terrific guest. I hope you come back often. Keep up the great work, and thank you for being our page two expert here on The Nonprofit Coach. Everyone, we look forward to having you right here on The Nonprofit Coach next week.
1: You've been listening to The Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad-friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to The Nonprofit Coach.